Well, I am glad you're here today. My name is Blair. We started a series last week, and uh, this doesn't happen very often, but it does happen here. Sometimes the weeks are so interconnected, you really won't understand one without the other. We hate to do that in case you're new here and you didn't catch up on last week, but you'll just have to go back. You'll have to put it all together and figure out what we're doing because they go hand in hand with each other. They're important together. And the, the reason we're doing this is we're talking about the story of Noah's Ark. It's a big story. And potentially, it's about getting what you deserve. Because when you hear people talk about it, that's often what rises to the top. Mankind gets wiped out by an angry God, and we had it coming. And the story gets told in that way. So that was, that's one of the reasons that we wanted to spend some time with this. The other reason is because this story has become a lightning rod for attention for those who would try to convince you that what you believe is just false. It's a false narrative. And so they, try to, they start with the Noah story. And so we, we gave you all that kind of information last week. We kind of unloaded it on you. And just in case you think I'm insane about this stuff, I found a video clip I want to show you. Now, I want to apologize um, because it's starkly political. But I think it's the nature of the world we live in right now. I think um, people's like, political view has become their primary view that they see the whole world through. Uh, we're, we're attempting for our relationship with Jesus to be the primary thing that we see our world through. But I want you to see what this reporter thought was a really great letter to the editor that was worth sharing with everybody. Check this out. I want to read you guys a letter to the editor that we found in the Lexington Herald Leader. It was a fascinating attempt at trying to explain why um, some people support President Trump. Here's what he says. Why do good people support Trump? It's because... People have been trained from childhood to believe in fairy tales. This set their minds up to accept things that make them feel good. The more fairy tales and lies he tells, the better they feel. Show me a person who believes in Noah's Ark, and I will show you a Trump voter. It, 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 look, this gets at something, Dean, that, that my executive producer likes to say, is, hey, voters want to be lied to sometimes. They, 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 don't, they don't always love being told hard truths. I have been surprised at the number of people who have come to me over the last week and talked about their interactions with people who were in positions of authority um, that have attacked their beliefs openly and without any hesitation. Where um, it's just bring it up and call you uh, somebody who just loves to embrace lies and it's no big deal and they kind of go on with it. And so uh, we introduced a lot of information, and I left it open-ended. I was hoping that you would go out of here and have some discussions with each other, and I got feedback that that was happening. So I'm really I'm excited that that took place. And I went last week without telling you what I thought, and I thought about trying to go for two weeks, but that would just cause problems, right? So uh, here, let me just give you um, my take on last week, all right? So I'll just give you my take on last week. Here are some things that I believe. I, I think something happened. If you were to try to argue with me that there were 200 stories around the world in cultures that had so many similarities and that it was just coincidence, you're going to have a hard time convincing me. I, I just, I, I don't buy it. There's too much evidence there alone that something took place. I think another factor for me is I think God inspired this book that we read. 
I think, I think he has intentions to share truths, um, and that's what's important to me, and I want to find those truths. But that's also why, at some point, it, um, the argument over the facts is not as interesting or compelling to me. See, I, I'm convinced in studying this scripture that every, every area of scripture that I've been in was written to a people in a certain time and culture. It was aimed at them. And so those people knew exactly what was happening. They knew what was, what was being talked about. But the truth that was being embedded in those conversations are the things that are really important for us because those truths, they span cultures. They span ages and time. And that's why it's important. I think, again, um, I, I mentioned this last week, but I'll just say this again. I think what's more important about this story is why in the world is it there? Why is it being told? Because up to this point, God is making a differentiation between him and all the other gods of the ancient world. And all of a sudden, what seems to come into the story is something that's very similar. A God who gets angry wipes out everybody. Why? Why is that told? Well, that's what we're going to spend our time on this morning. And we'll see by the time we get done, if you agree with me, that why is this story here becomes the more compelling thing um, that we should be uh, talking about. The story of Noah spans three chapters. In reality, we probably could have spent the whole series just in Noah. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of truths being communicated. There's a lot of layers to this. There are Jewish rabbis who can point to how um, the first part of Noah's story mirrors Genesis chapter 1. And then there's a mirror back to Genesis chapter 2. And the curse that Noah tells in the final part of his story against one of his sons who does something to him, we're not going to talk about that at, at some point, maybe in the future, mirrors the curse in chapter 3. So there's lots of stuff going on, and because there's so much content that we could cover of Russell with what, how do we get down to the brass tacks? Why was this story here? And I think what we're going to do is we're going to look at two chiasms that are in the story of Noah. Uh, a chiasm, again, I'll just remind you, was a pattern of writing that the ancients used, and they did it because they were trying to create something that you would explore, and if you would find, your focus would go to it. So they, they created these patterns, and because I believe God inspired this text, I think what we're finding is things that God was hinting to that he wanted us to pay attention to. So that's what I'm going to do, and hopefully by narrowing our focus on those two things, we can get a, a pretty good idea of why this story is even in here. I told you I would come back to this. I'm going to take you to Genesis 6, chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord said how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And this is often where people end up with this idea that mankind is just getting what they deserve. The story is just about God cleaning the slate. You're, you're all messed up, you're in trouble, I'm gonna wipe you out. Uh, why this is interesting is because it's said uniquely. This every inclination of the human heart, and because it's said uniquely, when it gets repeated, it would catch your eye. It gets repeated in chapter eight, verse 21. 
The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. That's because Noah has left the ark. He's built an altar. There's a sacrifice that's happening. And, he, and God said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of the humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. He repeats that phrase again. It's almost identical. It, it, what's added to the back of it and front of it is all that changes. Now, when you see um, repetition like that, What's one of the things that you can think of, especially in the early part of the text? Chiasm. Could this be part of a pattern somewhere? And in this case, if you went and started looking between 6.5 and 8.2, a pattern, probably the easiest one for us to find, would emerge because it's all based on numbers. Uh, the numbers start 7, 7, 40, 150, then it goes 150, 40, 7, 7. And I'll put up the verses. You can see the pattern. It's right there. And, um, and because they're numbers in that pattern, probably the easiest one for us to diagnose. There are other ones that are going to be more difficult. The next one we're going to talk about is more difficult. But this one you can see. And, and I could go through and highlight. And if you get to the middle, the middle, and you say, okay, What's the hint? What are they hinting at here? It's a little phrase. Let me read it to you. But God remembered Noah. Chapter 8, verse 1. I'll read the whole verse. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals, all the livestock that were with him in the ark, and he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. Why is God remembering Noah something that God would want us to focus on, pay attention to, perk up to. See, um, last week we talked about the, the massive number of worldwide flood stories that exist. There's a lot. And there's a lot of similarities, which causes us to go, man, I think something happened. But there's also some similarities in how the stories play out. Let me give you, let me give you a thumbnail a God gets angry, doesn't say anything, just gets ticked off, we don't know, always know why, but decides to wipe out all of mankind. Somebody in the human race figures this out and sets out to outsmart the God with a plan because the gods are really powerful, but we're a little smarter than they are. So the plan is, I'm going to outsmart you and at the end of the day, when the story concludes, all that you've learned is how mankind relates to God. And, it, and this is it. How I relate to God should be fear. Because at any moment, this God could turn around and wipe us out. And we were lucky because I figured out what was going on and I prevented it. That's the story over and over and over and over again. Go look at them all. There's one. One story that's different. When it comes to some key elements in the story, there is not another single story that has these parts of it. Try this on for size. One story that God actually communicates what's about to happen with somebody and actually lets them broadcast it to everybody else to warn them. It says, I'm, I'm going to be a part of this. In one story, the God actually has detailed plans for how to avoid destruction. 
and hands them out to somebody that he actually partners with in the story. He says, listen, I'm with you. In one story, in the middle of the mayhem, God reminds him, I remember you. I know where you're at. This isn't over. And I'm going to bring this to a conclusion. Like I'm going to dry stuff up. We're going to get this back on track. Noah, you're not alone in this. There is only one story out of all the stories that's told like this. I, I told you that um, Chaldeans would have recognized this story. They would not have recognized the story that I just told you. They would have recognized the story of an angry God who had to be outsmarted, who at the end of the day could not be trusted. But our story seems to indicate something different. I'm going to warn you. I'm going to protect you. And then, even at the end of the story, I want you to take you back to 821. Do you know what he says? I'm not going to do this again. You don't have something to fear from me. I'm going to protect you from this kind of destruction again. See, in the ancient world, a reprieve was temporary. Like, we beat this. We got lucky. But you should be on the guard because the gods that we know are menacing. They're moody. They're vindictive. And they will mess with your life. And you've got to protect yourself. But in this story, it seems like the God has been warning and is now on the side of remembering mankind and setting something up where you don't have to face this again. It's not a temporary reprieve. It's permanent. This would have been utterly jarring for ancient readers. There's no story like this out there in the Chaldeans and the Assyrians and the Babylonians and all of these stories that people point to and say they're the same thing. You won't find this. You will find the same plot, some of the same names, some of the same stuff, but how it works out when it starts to get into the details, really different. Not only that, it's, it's bigger than that because there's another layer that's added in Genesis chapter 9. Because God doesn't just say, I'm not going to do this anymore. He decides to make a covenant to back that. It's found in Genesis chapter 9, 8 through 17. And if you were to go and read Genesis 8 through 17 a few times, you would start to think, this is some of the weirdest stuff I've ever read. Like, why is it written like this? It seems, it seems to be um, unneeded repetition. Here we go. Verse 9, I now establish my covenant. Verse 11, I establish my covenant with you. Verse 12, this is the sign of my covenant I'm making between you and me. I don't know. Is it important that you're trying to get across that you want to make a covenant or what else is going on? It's, it's, um, when I say there's unneeded repetition, what should instantly come to your mind? Maybe it's a chiasm. Like, maybe there's something going on here that the writer is using to hint to something. And in fact, 
This chiasm is, is difficult. It's only found in the Hebrew because the way we translate it, there's a lot of different words that cross over. And so if you try to do this smoothly and easily, you're not going to find it. I trust the, uh, the rabbis and the Christian uh, leaders who have gone and done the research on this. But let me, let me uh, just give you the take on this. In this little section of Scripture, there's seven times the word covenant is mentioned. Seven times the word earth is mentioned. Five times the word cloud is mentioned. Three times the word bow is mentioned. Now, why is this important? Well, I don't know if you noticed, but they're all odd numbers. And what do odd numbers have in common? They have a middle. The middle of seven is four. The middle of five is three. Some slow math people out here, right? The middle of three is two. Would you find it at all interesting if all the middle words lined up in one phrase together in this little section of Scripture? And it says something like this. When I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the, it says clouds, but it should be interpreted sky. That's why it's confusing. I will remember my covenant. We find in two, these two little chiasms that God says, I'm going to remember Noah, and then I'm going to remember the covenant that I have that said I'm not ever going to do this again. Um, all of that is jarring alone ex- until you understand that this type of covenant that God just set up is one of the weirdest ones you would ever see in the ancient world. There was a pattern for how a covenant was set up. I think we've talked about this. It's been over a year, so I'm just going to refresh you real quick. A covenant that was set up in this time in history was set up between two parties. One was the suzerain. They held all the power. They were, um, they were allowing this contract because they might get a little something out of it, but they, had, they were putting in more chips than the other person. It was benefiting the other person far more. And so they would write out a contract and then they would give that contract to the vassal. The vassal was the person who was on the receiving side of this. And because the vassal was getting so much more out of this, they were responsible to hold that contract and to keep it safe and to produce it to show that I can actually require that this person of power pays me that this person of power delivers on what they said because I have this agreement. So this agreement is made this way between one who is powerful and then the responsibility lays on the one who is the vassal. I can, like, I'm going to do some work in your place and you're going to pay me the sum of money and the sum of money is nothing for this person of power, but it might be a year's wage for this vassal. So it's a big deal and they hold on to that covenant and they protect it. And if they cannot produce it, they will not get paid. Well, that's normal. Could we agree as we look at this story that God's in the position of power? Like he holds all the cards. He's the powerful one. We we can agree to that. Could we agree that mankind is going to get more benefits out of this agreement than God is? I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to destroy you again. The question I have is what exactly is mankind's responsibility in this covenant? Go and look. 
What did 8, chapter 8.21 actually say about the human nature of man? He says, despite the fact that the human heart is inclined towards evil from childhood, I'm going to give this covenant. Has ma- mankind faced worldwide destruction? Have they changed? Does it look like they will? Does it look like they have any intention of doing anything different in the future? No. It doesn't. So they don't bear any responsibility necessarily to do anything different up to this point. And by the way, who's holding the evidence that the covenant was made? Let me ask you this. If I asked you to produce a rainbow at 12 noon tomorrow, could you? Only if the circumstances were perfect, right? Because it's outside of your control to produce. So, you, so mankind doesn't even hold the responsibility as a vassal in this relationship. God looked at mankind and said, you're such a mess that I'm going to make a covenant where I'm not going to trust you to fulfill your side of it. And more than that, I'm not even going to trust you to carry the sign of the covenant because I, I don't know how well you'll do with that. So I'll do that. I'll produce the thing that will cause me to remember that I've made this agreement to not wipe out mankind forever. Now listen, this is really important. He uses an image. And we've translated it. We've translated it rainbow. That's not what the Hebrew says. The Hebrew says bow. Um, why did translators do that? Because they were trying to help us figure out what was going on and what it was like, all of that sort of thing, right? But for them, it was bow. And what, what is a bow used for? It's a tool, right? It's just a tool. We could agree with that. This is, um, this is hard. Uh, some compound bows, you pull back and then it releases and you can hold it. This doesn't have that. So it's a real pain to pull back because it can also be a weapon, right? It can also be a weapon. You can pull it back and it can be a weapon. Oh. It would probably be irresponsible of me to aim a loaded weapon at a group of people, right? But what if I didn't put it on the string and I just did that to get you to consider what would happen if somebody pointed a loaded weapon at you? All of a sudden, it wouldn't be funny anymore, right? Now, I want you to consider that what he's saying is, I put a bow in the cloud. I want to put a picture of uh, that up on the screen for you to look at. I want you to look at this rainbow. If that rainbow is a bow, and it's loaded, where's the arrow pointed? up. Is that person standing underneath a rainbow in danger? Listen, because we know the story, this is not just imagery. 
mankind keeps sinning. And who pays the price with the life? Jesus. Why? Because the arrow is pointed to heaven. Listen, this is not just a simple story about God destroying mankind. In fact, if you want to to catch what's going on right now, this story is about a God who willingly loves you and steps in front of the crosshairs for you. Kept sinning. That didn't change. You didn't do anything to deserve this covenant. You're not going to fulfill it. The arrow's going to get fired. Somebody's going to die and it's not you. And all of a sudden, the story of Noah comes into clarity. Because this picture that God has been communicating all along, that he is a God of deep love and compassion, boils to the top. See, in the ancient world, you would not have expected To see a God remember mankind, God's looked down with contempt on mankind, but not this one. You would not expect to see a God make a covenant where they would go out of their way to protect mankind and to put themselves in the crosshairs? Not happening. And yet this is our story. This is a story of a God who looked at how messed up mankind was, tried to provide an an out, a warning, which nobody heeded. I think that's a different story altogether. I I think we would go to the end of just destroying ourselves and still not change. It's our story. And despite that, a God of love decides he's going to take the shot for you, for me. And it's all wrapped up in a story that somebody might have understood, oh, I get part of that, but I do not understand why your story is written this way. And all of a sudden, the light goes off. You know why this story was told? God was trying to rewrite the understanding of how God interacts, his nature with mankind. And instead of having this fear relationship, he wanted you to understand that he approaches you with compassion and love. And if you would respond to that love, you could have a partnership with him. And if you don't, he would take your arrow. Anyway, this is the story of Noah. Would you all close your eyes for just a minute? I want, you to, I want you to work on putting this picture in your head, if you could. Band, if you would come forward, that would be great. I want you to imagine that you've done something horribly wrong. It gets way out of bounds. You're guilty of it. You did it. And your choice is to run. And you run and you run and you flee. 
And I want you to see yourself getting to like the most barren part of the earth. Where would you go? Would it be in the middle of a wilderness? Would it be in a desert? Where would you go where you would think, nobody's gonna find me here. I could be safe here. Once you have that picture in your head, and right when you were thinking that you ran the farthest, you did the best to clear out of the way, a bounty hunter steps out, draws on you. You're exhausted, you're tired, you've been running, you have nowhere else to run, you're done. And for some reason, Jesus steps between you and that bounty hunter and says, I got you. This person behind me who's guilty, they probably deserve what they would get. I'll take it. It's mine. Do you understand this is how God relates to you? This is how God's heart is full of love towards you. And the story of Noah puts that front and center. Mankind deserved it. But God made a covenant never again out of my deep, compassionate love for you. Never again. God, as we think about you standing between us and certain doom, we thank you for the love that you bring. We thank you for that blessed name of Jesus who covers us, who stands in the crosshairs and says, out of love and compassion, I'll take the shot. God, may we see the story of Noah in a way that changes how we relate to you. I ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen.